Welcome to the Prep Pigskin Report Podcast, hosted by Papa Pig himself, Paul Rudy. Welcome to PPR Podcast number 39. Everybody knows the man to my right. His name is Bert Grossman. And in the middle, in the hot seat for a second time, another Pitt Panther. Would yeah. you like to introduce Bert? I will. I guess you all watched him on the draft. Lewis Riddick, co-host of the draft with Mel Kuyper. I have a question for you, Lewis, because I was you reading know. over the weekend, um, Adam Schefter put out a, a tweet on how busy you are. So you did Thursday, Friday draft with Mel Kuyper and that beautiful uh-huh. pink blazer you had on. Then you uh-huh. went to Pitt and gave a commencement speech at the graduation. You got an honorary doctorate. Yeah, then, about that, and, and you might have met with the Steelers about the opening for the GM job. Uh, not, well, you were, you're, see, you were, you were three for four, man. You were three for four. I I'm didn't just saying what Adam you. said. I'm saying what Adam yeah, said. Yeah, no, no. He he said he said that I was still in the running for the for the GM spot, and you know, well, I'm you want, trying to keep the comments. Let me to give you the point. All right, let me give you the point of the question. I binge watch Ozark all weekend. Yes, same here. <laughs> and then had trouble recycling all the wine bottles I used afterwards. <laughs> and you've done all that in, in three. Where did we go wrong? We went to the same school. <laughs> hey, look, man. Like I like I've told you many different times, Bert. <laughs> Your career, how good you were, you don't have to compare your career to anybody. Okay? I want, a doctorate. I want a doctorate from Pitt. You were one of the best to ever play there. I want a doctorate. And, uh, well, um, I don't know. You know what? I, I'll talk to Chancellor Gallagher. <laughs> I appreciate hey, that. Louis, <laughs> can, I, can I ask you? Because I'm always uh, in, interested in these pub, big public speaking deals, something like yeah. this, where kids yeah. are going to remember – that you were their commencement speaker. Mm-hmm. How much time did you put in? What, give, a, give me a little sample. What was your best line? What was the message you were trying to deliver? Share with us Uh-oh. something from that. Well, the message really was, you know, I, I think every kid, every kid when they're sitting there, right? I mean, my daughter graduates from Villanova in, in two weeks. So, like, she has asked me, you know, like, well, Dad, what's next? You know, how do I... What's the next step do I take? How do I go about trying to use my degree so I can have a, you know, have a successful life? And and I, you know, I asked her, well, what, how do you define success? That's number one. I mean, because it has a lot of different, it can look a lot of different ways. Anyway, that that was the message to the kids that were sitting there, which is, first of all, success is probably for most of you not going to be linear. It's not going to be some straight line right to the top. You're not going to like go, well, this is what I want to do. And it's just going to go zoom and you're going to get there and be rich and all, and retire when you're 40. It's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to have to reinvent yourself a couple of different times. You're probably going to get knocked down a couple of different times, a couple of different ways. So you better continue to, you know, really right now to continue to prepare yourself to accept that embrace it and move on and then continue to strategize and then execute on whatever it was that you that you want to do. And you may be doing things, man, that totally have nothing to do with what you just spent four years studying. And that's okay too. So, I mean, that, that's really what it was. Don't get down on yourself. Understand that you're probably going to have setbacks, but just continue to be able to, uh, to, to reinvent and continue to push forward. And, and I, I spoke to a lot of kids afterwards, man. They, that's kind of the kind of thing people want to hear real, not, Right. Some great success story that you're sitting up there and they're going, well, I can't do that. My life's not going to look like that. They don't want to. They don't want something they can't relate to. So, I thought it worked out good. The water is much deeper with Lewis than with you. It is. That's yeah. that's the point I was trying to make, but I'm not deep enough to make it. All right, Al Lewis, can we talk draft <laughs> with you? Yeah. Because uh, obviously, I don't. I, I'm I'm sure you're well aware. We had a bunch of kids from our area 
make make their bones, if you will, or start to make no. their bones. Uh, well, Could we start with the Saints uh, trading up to get Chris Olave? What did they get? Oh, wow. Chris is Mr. Smooth, man. This dude, as a route runner, you know, I, I remember, and I'm not trying to compare Chris Olave to Jerry Rice, all right, but I remember playing against Jerry and thinking Jerry makes every route look the same. As soon as he comes off the line of scrimmage, he looks like he's already going full speed. You can't really read the tempo of his route because he runs every route exactly the same. That's what Chris reminded me of when I watched him. Every route looks the same. And you're sitting there going, well, he's not really going that fast. Well, yeah, actually he is. He's 4'3", 4'4". <laughs> he's just super smooth. You know, him and Garrett Wilson together, I mean, that's just, that's unfair that they're allowed to have wide receivers, get that many wide receivers at Ohio State. But that's what he is, man. And he will be exactly what Jameis needs because Jameis Winston had nothing like that last year. And that's why before he got hurt, that offense was bogging down. Jameis can throw the deep ball better than anybody in the NFL. But he had nobody. And that's, He's got somebody now. That's an interesting point because Chris was always one of those ones that you rarely see. So we would watch Chris since youth. So Chris dominated youth, and then you always wait for that. All right, you're not going to dominate in high school right away. But he dominated. He walks in in high school and dominates right away. Then you're like, oh, yeah. you're going to Ohio State now. You're going to have to take a couple of years. And then freshman year just dominates right away. So <laughs> he's one of those rare kids that just every level from get-go, he just dominates. And, and it looks yeah. like he's been there for 20 years at every level the second he walks on. He, happens, yep, he hasn't exactly. tasted failure yet. Uh, all right, yeah. so let's work our way down then. Uh, Devin Lloyd. Oh, man. See, if Devin had run faster – at the combine in his workouts, Devin would have been a top 10 player, top five player, but you know how the NFL is, right? So the NFL wants to draft players with more times than not that have the so-called traits. It drives me crazy, but it's just part of it. The further you get away from actually playing games and closer to the draft, the less they value what you did on tape, the more they value what you put onto a, onto an athletic profile sheet. Devin Lloyd, you watch any tape you want at Utah. He reminds me of Darius Leonard at, at Indianapolis, who's an all-pro. Right. He can play in a 3-4, play in a 4-3. You want him to play off-ball linebacker inside, he can do that. You want him to rush outside as a 3-4 guy standing up, he can do that. He can intercept the football. He can stop the run inside or outside. There's nothing he can't do. And it really came down to how fast he ran. If he had run at his size, you know, what um, – Devin White had run coming out of LSU or Roquan Smith, you know, who got drafted in Chicago or Devin Bush when he got drafted in Pittsburgh. These guys were all top 10 inside linebackers. If he had run 4-4, he would have went top five. So when he's that good. So that's my question because, we, you know, we go here and it's like, what, and it's been going on since we've been playing him before, the timing thing. Yeah. Um, when you turn on a film and you see a guy like Devin Lloyd or, or, or any guy, just he doesn't make any false steps. He, he gets all the reads. Yep. It's all, so yep. on the field, he's basically running a 4-5 because he doesn't waste exactly. any steps. And you get these other guys that are running 4-2s, but their footwork, their reads, their steps are so bad, they're running 4-9s on the field practically. Yep. When does that change? Because it hasn't changed. I've been waiting for that to change forever. And it won't, and I'll tell you why, Bert. Because quite honestly, I, don't, I think everyone is trying to objectify football the same way they have <clears throat> baseball, right? So they want to make it analytics. Less emotional and about what you see and more about what's on a piece of paper. Because that way, if you're wrong, yeah. the people who hold you accountable, <laughs> they will say, you can go to them and say, well, look right here on this paper. It said he was this tall, this fast, and had this kind of 40. I didn't screw up. He screwed up. I didn't screw up. The coaches screwed it up. Somebody else screwed it up. It wasn't me. But if you have to literally put your 
actual football intelligence and your football acumen on the line, and that's what's going to have to save your job. Some guys say, "Well, I, I don't know, honestly, and, and I don't, I don't mean this disrespectfully, man, but I don't know how much people really know, even in the scouting world, about the game of football. I don't know how much they really believe what they're seeing. Wow. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes I think it's just about, okay, I, I want to cover my rear end because I'm sometimes people in this business, man, where it's so cutthroat. And we already know that the hit rate is what? I don't know, 55, 60%. If you're going to say 45, 40% of guys are going to wash out. You want to be able to put it on them, not on you. I mean, what? When Russell Wilson came out, right? When Russell came out of Wisconsin, there was one thing. There was one knock on Russell Wilson. He's not 6'3". That's it. So what? that's why he goes in the third round. If Russell was 6'3", 6'4", 220, he may have been the first player taken in the draft. That's how it goes, though. I mean, so, that, that's really what it comes down to. So the analytics and the numbers actually have more say in a player's draft slot than the film of him actually playing the sport of football. It can when you're talking about the first round in the top ten in particular. Yeah, because you don't see that as where, much down the down the road in the, in the rounds exactly. that it becomes. Yeah, let's right, look well at the, the film. Let me and, yeah, and you know, and you know what's funny about that? If I want, if I can jump in here, you know what's funny about that? When you get into say fourth through seventh round, a lot of times then you know what scouts do? Well, the cost of me being wrong is much less than if I was wrong in the top ten picks, right? So what they they kind of relax and let their football IQ and what they see combined with whatever testing numbers they have all kind of come together. Fascinating. I know what you're and saying. And you know here. what happens? And then you see all these guys hitting, right? And right. people go, well, damn. Yeah. Oh, how you found him fourth, fifth, sixth rounder? It's, it's, it's because you know why? Because you're like... literally not just trying to cover your rear end then. That is fascinating. So maybe you should trust yourself a little bit more. That is fascinating observation. Wow. I've never heard anyone say that before. Interesting. So you're. Okay, hey, can we just follow up? Yeah. Just because because Matariza, I, I would thought would have had all those analytics, but fell to the sixth round, third punter chosen. Well, let me tell you what I think of Matariza, and you tell me whether you agree. I mean, I, we, well, we talked about. What, the, I, I didn't. Well, I'm just gonna tell you now. I didn't look at many punters for the draft. So what? They don't have you on the punters. Come on. <laughs> and that's milk. All right. Well, tell the story. Well, he, all right. So you get Matariza. But, but I can. But I can still. But I can still chime in. So you just tell me the story. Okay. All right. He San Diego State won the guy award. Um, you know, he's the punt god. Um, yeah. You know, hit an 89-yard punts. Um, but you I know, know in San Diego, you see all the stats. But what you don't look into, and this isn't a knock on him, he's also a kicker and a punter. Been since mm -hmm. high school. He's never been a holder. You know, people don't realize mm -hmm. punters are holders in the NFL. You don't hold and you've never held. That's a problem. Yeah. It's also, we see these flashes. It's almost like, you know, you're on the tour and you watch somebody can drive 400 yards off the <laughs> tee every time, but can they make the sand shot or can they make some other things? And he hasn't yeah. been punting that long. So, you know, we looked at that. We looked at all that and, and his numbers are incredible. But, you know, the hang mm -hmm. time direction, you know, can't hold some mm -hmm. other things that he has to learn. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so much he went in the sixth round. He was the third punter taken that people were upset right. with. Yeah, yeah. I think when when it comes to that, look, I, I think when it comes to punters and kickers, obviously, you're right. You will get not your value will take a hit if you're someone who hasn't held. If you're someone who, when you're talking about situational punting, like plus fifty punting, how many times you get punts down inside the twenty? What's your hang time? Can you directional punt? It's great to go ahead and you know. So see, sometimes I remember talking to. Mike Tomlin about this in particular, right? They were, 
they were getting ready to play Chicago Monday night. Chicago had a punt returner named Jakeem Grant, who is just electric. He was all pro this year. He said, it's not good enough to just boom at 70 yards down the field. Because one, if you boom it that far, you're probably out kicking our coverage. Two, if you boom it that far and put it right down the middle of the field and give them the whole field to work with, then what good does that do me? Because now, if they just get a couple blocks with a guy as good as Jakeem, if you don't pin him on the sideline, you don't get hang time, then I don't care how far you can punt. I don't care what your average was because you're not helping our team. So there's more strategy to play in special teams than just being able, as far as a kicker is concerned, to be able to knock it, you know, as you talked about, use the golf analogy, then to be able to just drive it 400 yards off the off the tee. You got to put it somewhere strategically so you can then, like in golf, hit the next shot. In football, it's so your guys can get down there and put the guy on the ground. So I, I think that's how, you know, I know that's how we looked at special teams, which was, you know, my my area in, in, in the pros, how we constantly got on our punters about, hey, man, it doesn't do us any good if you're, you know, banging out 80 yarders. Put it up in the air a little bit. You know, put these guys on the sideline. You know, when teams used to try to do that, do that to us when I was with Cleveland and punt it up and, you know, and bang it real far down the field and put it right in the middle, Eric Metcalf was taking it 80 yards on every time. So I guess that that's kind of why, you know, maybe that kind of things ha- thing happens. But from what I understand, I mean, Mel liked him a lot. Reese Davis, who was on the air for us uh, on on Saturday, really liked this kid a lot too. So I've heard a lot of good things about. Him. Yeah, I, I hope uh, if not if it doesn't happen in Buffalo, he will get a you know he's going to get a couple opportunities. Don't you think? That's oh, right. I, I think it's going to happen. I mean, people just don't realize he was a kicker. I mean, he has only yeah. been punting a year or two. I mean, these are just things you work on. Hey. Uh, yeah. Before we get to some of the other guys, and I, I know your time is tight, so we're going to But just as it relates to uh, being a late-round draft choice, is it better to be a sixth or seventh-round pick or to mm-hmm. be an undrafted free agent going to a team that you know, like, like C.J. Verdell, maybe going to someplace where, or Greg Bell, going someplace where they might need that third or fourth running back and you have a better shot of making the team as an undrafted? What, what, you know what? I've always felt that being drafted is always better. Although there, you'll hear people say, "Well, you know, when you're a free agent, you can pick your spots." Well, the fact of the matter is, this, they have to start. They have to set the depth chart somehow, and the depth chart usually is set with draft picks getting the nod over undrafted free agents originally. Now, what you do with it after that is is a totally different story. But I've always felt like just being drafted kind of gives you a leg up initially. We've seen enough stories, man, in the NFL where, hell, first-round picks who get all the reps, who get all the attention in the meeting rooms, who get all the extra post-practice walkthroughs and reps from their position coaches still can't get it. In the end, man, you know, you just have you just don't have as many opportunities when you're undrafted as the guys who are drafted because Understood. it makes the scout look a lot better if you get if you're drafted and you make it than undrafted guys. It just works that way. I got one more question, Lewis, and then we'll keep you any yep. longer. What is going on? This I mean, what, what's changed so much that we have one quarterback in the in the first round taken? That's all, and then not another one to the third. I think the first running back was off in the fourth round. I mean, yep. When did that happen? I mean, I know it's been yeah. happening slowly, but well, I think with quarterbacks, Bert, it's cyclical, right? Uh, next year, when you're talking about guys like C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, I mean, these guys are going to go. They're going to go in the top five top two maybe first overall next year will be a much stronger quarterback class so quarterbacks i think is just cyclical this year the quarterbacks got hit because people people some people <laughs> think that kenny 
some people think that Kenny doesn't have that Kenny Pickett doesn't have Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, um, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen type traits. He just won't be able to be, you know, they use this word a lot in scouting and in media sometimes. He won't be a force multiplier, meaning he can't make everybody else better. You just have to have everything set around him. So why should we draft a guy that high? Malik Willis from Liberty was one of those guys who people believe, see, in the media, people were pissed off that he didn't go before Kenny Pickett. Because in the media, people become conditioned to think that you just always have to draft athletes, traits, athletes, traits. And, and they, I mean, there was a lot of people who were almost like offended that he didn't go. But there's questions about, about Malik. So that's why the quarterbacks got pushed down for different reasons. Running back, I think it's because, you know, from a, a longevity standpoint, how many running backs make it to second contracts, the wear and tear. I mean, you know, Bert, Bert you hunted them for a living, man. You know, you know how much these guys take a beating in the NFL. And teams just say, you know what? I'm not going to pay that kind of money in terms of draft capital and the salary that comes with it to draft them in the first round. So the league just kind of like uniformly started pressing those guys down. Now they go in the second round and the third round. Unless, unless you are Adrian Peterson-like. Unless you're Ezekiel Elliott, like coming out, and people go, well, this guy, it's him, and then it's everyone else. So, but we gotta have that guy. Otherwise, you're getting pushed down, man. You're just getting pushed down. And I think Kyle Shanahan put it best to me, like last year when I was asking him about it. About I asked him why, you know, why are why are so many of your backs good, and then why, but why don't you guys draft them, in, you know, in the uh, in the first second round? He goes, because one. He said, Lewis, the fact of the matter is they get the hell beat out of them. And guys are even bigger, stronger, and faster now than when we played, you know, 20 years ago. They just are. It's it's amazing. And, and even and when, when we played, I mean, it was if, – if guys were able to hit, if defenders were able to hit the same way they were able to hit in the 90s, I don't – I'd be – I'd be scared to think of what would be happening to some dudes. If you could hit guys up top the same way you could in the 90s, with the mass and the speed that these guys are generating now. We'd have fatalities. It'd be crazy. Yeah. And, and I think that's why running backs get pushed down because it's really just a longevity thing, man. People are afraid that these guys are only going to last, last four or five years, one contract. So why spend that? Why waste getting that fifth-year option on a guy who probably may not even be around for a second contract? Why don't we put it on the guys at the position you play? Guys who may be 10-year, you know, 10 sack year guy, 10 uh, sacks a year type guys, which we know are pre is a premium position. That's where everybody's investing the money. And you, you know, what's, what's funny though, is that uh, one thing that hasn't changed is everybody is looking for guys who are six, six two seventy, who on fourth down, you just say, go get it, go beat your guy and get the quarterback. Your, your type have not gone out of style. But it's crazy because that you still be drafted in the first in the top ten. I don't see you know what I'm one of the ones I don't really see the value in that only for me because say you might take 700 snaps a year and if you only 10 of them you're only getting home. I mean I understand there's pressure and everything else, but I don't see the yeah. value that much in, in the especially with the well, roles now. Yeah, but you know what? There's really no other way to try and there's only two. I mean you know this. There's only two ways to, to slow down today's offenses with the way the rules are, mm -hmm. and that is affect the quarterback 
put the quarterback down or intercept the quarterback. So you're, the DNs are getting paid, the corners, safeties, and even some linebackers now are getting paid. Actually, all guys on defense are getting paid now because the offense has free reign uh, throughout the entire field. They can attack between the numbers, outside the numbers. They can do anything the hell they want. So you, But the number one thing that everyone wants is they want the Burke Grossmans, the Aaron Donalds, the you know Warren Sapp. That's what they want. Because that's the only way you can slow down, Patrick. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. Patrick's great until he has no offensive line, and then the next right. thing you know, he's running for his life. So everyone's saying, look, if, if you know, at all costs, let's get enough QB hunters out here and get these, and, and they'll, they're, they're always going to get paid, especially the more and more the league becomes a passing league, which I don't know how else it can become more of a passing league. Because it already is. Everything is set up for them, as you know. Yeah. I'm just honored to be sitting next to a guy who got mentioned in the same breath as Aaron Donald. That's because Lou's from Pitt. He always yeah. has to say that. Look, don't, don't, don't let Bird fool you, man. <laughs> He's See, got Bert a doctorate. Tried, no, I, I know Bird. Tell him, Dr. Riddick. Bird's talented. Bird tries that, that self-deprecating BS, <laughs> but he knows that he was. <laughs> he, he was the man. Hey, can he I? Was the, he was one of the very best. Lewis, can, can, can I ask you one last question before we let you go? Yeah. Uh, while while the draft was going on, which by the way has become quite a show with ma yeah. magicians dangling and blue groups and all that, that crazy got, or what? Analysts wearing pink jackets. I mean, it was salmon. <laughs> excuse me, salmon. I, mean, I, I, well, I, I tried to tell him it's salmon. A <laughs> lot of showbiz uh, now in your neck of the woods. But while yeah. that was going on here locally in San Diego, a lot of seven-on-seven seven camps or exposure camps and all these, you know, almost I, I assume they're timed. To correspond with the draft as as the next generation of young athletes are getting ready to be called blah 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 is that yeah. good for football or is that bad for football um the fact that uh that like those camps were coming on and how the and they're becoming they're becoming more popular and more and more kids are flocking to them in hopes of creating times and metrics that will attract college recruiters no i don't i don't think it's bad i think that's just the way it is now that's just that's just the landscape. So either you have to kind of immerse yourself in it and accept it, or you won't get you won't get the exposure and you won't get recruited and you won't get to where you want to get to. Everything has changed. The game has become so commercialized and so very specific about who you need to be in front of in order you know in order to get to where you want to get to that if you don't do it, you're just gonna get left behind. It I told somebody a story just the other day. I think we may have talked about this before, but from 1987, which was my freshman year, till now, like recruiting is, I found out I was on the USA Today All-American team by on Christmas Eve going to the newsstand and buying a USA Today paper yeah. and looking inside to see if my face was on there. That's how I found out. That's how I found out I was on Sports Illustrated. I, I went to go. the drugstore and, and it was just on the <laughs> right. thing. Nobody calls you. You don't see it on social no. media, nothing. You just show no. up. No, that, that's how it is. Now, these kids know everything. They know everything. They talk to everyone. I had I knew four or five guys from my recruiting class because we had played in the Big 33 Classic in Pennsylvania. Otherwise, I didn't know anybody when I when I showed up on campus at Pitt. I didn't know anybody. I knew who Burke Grossman was because he was from the Philadelphia area and because I had watched, I had seen him on TV. But there was no way I could like go, hey, you know, uh, coach, can you give me Bert's cell phone and I'm going to text yeah. them and say, hey, you know, and just tell them I'm a, I'm a young guy coming in. Can you help me out? There's no, there's nothing like the world has changed so much, man. 
that if you don't get with all the ways that the game has changed, you'll get left behind fast.